Psalm 44, Part 2 of the Treasury of David. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simon Wainwright. The Treasury of David, Volume 2 by Charles Spurgeon, Psalm 20, Part 2, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. But thou hast cast off, and put us to shame, and goest not forth with our armies. Thou makest us to turn back from the enemy, and they which hate us spoil for themselves. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught, and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. Thou makest us a byword among the heathen, a shaking of the head among the people. My confusion is continually before me, and the shame of my face hath covered me. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth by reason of the enemy and avenger. 9. But thou hast cast off and put us to shame. Here the patriot bard begins to contrast the past glories of the nation's history with its present sadness and distress, which he does not ascribe to the death of some human champion or to the accidents of war, but solely and alone to the withdrawal of Israel's God. It seemed to the mourner that Jehovah had grown weary of his people and put them away in abhorrence as men lay aside leprous garments loathing the sight of them to show his displeasure he had made his people to be ridiculed by the heathen whose easy victories over their largest armies covered israel with disgrace alas for a church and people when the lord in the active energy of his spirit withdraws from them they want no greater shame or sorrow he will not cast away his people finally and totally but many a church has been left to defeat and disgrace on account of sin and therefore all churches should be exceedingly watchful lest the like should happen to themselves Poverty and distress bring no shame on a people, but the Lord's absence takes from a church everything which can exalt and ennoble, and goest not forth with our armies. If the Lord be not the leader, of what avail are strong battalions? Vain are the combined efforts of the most zealous workers, if God's arm be not revealed. 
may none of us in our churches have to mourn over the ministry the sabbath school the missionary work the visiting the street preaching left to be carried out without the divine aid if our great ally will not go with us our defeat is inevitable ten thou makest us to turn back from the enemy the humiliating consciousness that the lord has left them soon makes men cowards flight closes the fight of those who have not the lord in the van and they which hate us spoil for themselves after defeat and retreat comes spoliation the poor vanquished nation paid a terrible penalty for being overcome plunder and murder desolated the conquered land and the invaders loaded themselves with every precious thing which they could carry away in spiritual experience we know what it is to be despoiled by our enemies doubts and fears rob us of our comforts and terrible forebodings spoil us of our hopes and all because the lord for wise purposes sees fit to leave us to ourselves alas for the deserted soul no calamity can equal the sorrow of being left of god though it be but for a small moment eleven thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat as sheep are slaughtered for food so were the people slain in flocks with ease and frequency not with the dignity of a sacrifice but with the cruelty of the shambles were they put to death god appeared to give them up like sheep allotted to the butcher to abandon them as the hireling abandons the flock to wolves the plaint is bitterly eloquent and has scattered us among the heathen many were carried into captivity far off from the public worship of the temple of god to pine as exiles among idolaters all this is ascribed to the lord as being allowed by him and even appointed by his decree it is well to trace the hand of god in our sorrows for it is surely there twelve thou sellest the people for naught as men sell merchandise to any one who cares to have it so the lord seemed to hand over his people to any nation who might choose to make war upon them meanwhile no good result was perceptible from all the miseries of israel so far as the psalmist could discover the lord's name received no honor from the sorrows of his people they were given away to their foes as if they were so little valued as not to be worth the ordinary price of slaves and the lord did not care to gain by them so long as they did but suffer the woe expressed in this line is as vinegar mingled with gall 
the expression is worthy of the weeping prophet and dost not increase thy wealth by their price if jehovah had been glorified by all this wretchedness it could have been borne patiently but it was the reverse the lord's name had through the nation's calamities been despised by the insulting heathen who counted the overthrow of israel to be the defeat of jehovah himself it always lightens a believer's trouble when he can see that god's great name will be honored thereby but it is a grievous aggravation of misery when we appear to be tortured in vain for our comfort let us rest satisfied that in reality the lord is glorified and when no revenue of glory is manifestly rendered to him he none the less accomplishes his own secret purposes of which the grand result will be revealed in due time we do not suffer for naught nor are our greaves without result thirteen thou makest us a reproach to our neighbors scorn is always an intensely bitter ingredient in the cup of the oppressed the taunts and jeers of the victors pain the vanquished almost as much as their swords and spears it was a mystery indeed that god should suffer his royal nation his peculiar people to be taunted by all who dwelt near them a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us the downtrodden people had become a common jest as base as israel cried the cruel tongue of the tyrant so ordinary had the scorn become that the neighboring nations though perhaps equally oppressed borrowed the language of the conquerors and joined in the common mockery to be a derision to both strong and weak superiors equals and inferiors is hard to bear the tooth of scoffing bites to the bone the psalmist sets forth the brutality of the enemy in many words in order to move the pity of the lord to whose just anger he traced all the sorrows of his people he used the very best of arguments for the sufferings of his chosen touch the heart of god far more readily than any other reasonings blessed be his name our great advocate above knows how to avail himself of this powerful plea and if we are at this hour enduring reproach for truth's sake he will urge it before the eternal throne and shall not god avenge his own elect a father will not long endure to see his children despitefully entreated he may put up with it for a little but his love will speedily arouse his anger and then it will fare ill with the persecutor and reviler fourteen thou makest us a byword among the heathen 
a shaking of the head among the people. The lamentation is here repeated. They had sunk so low that none did them reverence, but universally and publicly they were treated as infamous and despicable. Those who reviled others dragged in Israel's name by the way as a garnish to their insults, and if perchance they saw one of the seed of Jacob in the street, they used lewd gestures to annoy him. Those whose heads were emptiest, they were the common butt of every fool's arrow. Such has been the lot of the righteous in ages past. Such is their portion in a measure now. Such may be yet again their heritage in the worst sense. The world knows not its nobility. It has no eye for true excellence. It found a cross for the master and cannot be expected to award crowns to his disciples. 15. My confusion is continually before me. The poet makes himself the representative of his nation and declares his own constant distress of soul. He is a man of ill blood who is unconcerned for the sorrows of the church of which he is a member or the nation of which he is a citizen. The better the heart, the greater its sympathy. And the shame of my face hath covered me. One constant blush, like a crimson mantle, covered him both before God and man. He felt before God that the divine desertion was well deserved, and before man that he and his people were despicable indeed. Now that the heavenly help was gone, it is well for a nation when there still exist in it men who lay to heart its sin and shame. God will have pity on his chastened ones, and it is a pledge thereof when he sends us choice ministers, men of tenderness, who make the people's case their own. 16. For the voice of him that reproacheth and blasphemeth, it seems that from mocking the people of God, the adversaries advanced to reviling God himself. They proceeded from persecution to the sin which is next of kin, namely blasphemy. By reason of the enemy and avenger, the enemy boasted of avenging the defeats of their forefathers. They took revenge for the ancient victories of Israel by insulting over the now fallen people. Here was a sad plight for a nation to be placed in, but it was by no means a hopeless case, for the Lord who brought all this evil upon them could with equal ease release them from it. So long as Israel looked alone to her God and not to her own arm, no foe, could retain her beneath his foot. She must arise, for God was on her side. Verses 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. All this is come upon us, yet have we not forgotten thee, 
neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant our heart is not turned back neither have our steps declined from thy way though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons and covered us with the shadow of death if we have forgotten the name of our god or stretched out our hands to a strange god shall not god search this out for he knoweth the secrets of the heart yea for thy sake are we killed all the day long we are counted as sheep for the slaughter seventeen all this is come upon us yet have we not forgotten thee here the psalmist urges that israel had not turned away from her allegiance to jehovah when in the midst of many griefs we can still cling to god in loving obedience it must be well with us true fidelity can endure rough usage those who follow god for what they get will leave him when persecution is stirred up but not so the sincere believer he will not forget his god even though the worst come to worst neither have we dealt falsely in thy covenant no idol was set up the ordained worship was not relinquished god was still nationally acknowledged and therefore the psalmist is more earnest that the lord should interpose this and the succeeding verses are suitable for the lips of martyrs indeed the entire psalm might be called the martyr's complaint not for sin but for righteousness did the saints suffer not for falsehood but for truth not forsaking the lord but for following hard after him sufferings of such a sort may be very terrible but they are exceedingly honorable and the comforts of the lord shall sustain those who are accounted worthy to suffer for christ's sake eighteen our heart is not turned back neither have our steps declined from thy way heart and life were agreed and both were true to the lord's way neither within nor without had the godly sufferers offended they were not absolutely perfect but they were sincerely free from all willful transgression it was a healthy sign for the nation that her prophet poet could testify to her uprightness before god both in heart and act far oftener the case would have worn quite another color for the tribes were all too apt to set up other gods and forsake the rock of their salvation nineteen though thou hast sore broken us in the place of dragons though utterly crushed and rendered desolate and driven as it were to associate with creatures such as jackals owls serpents which haunt desert ruins yet israel remained faithful to be true to a smiting god even when the blows lay our joys in ruinous heaps is to be such as the lord delighteth in better to be broken by god than from god better to be in the place of dragons than of deceivers 
and covered us with the shadow of death. The language is very strong. The nation is described as completely enveloped in the dense darkness of despair and death, covered up as though coffined in hopelessness. Yet the claim is made that they still remained mindful of their God, and a glorious plea it is, better death than false of faith. Those who are true to God shall never find him false to them. 20. An appeal is now made to the omniscience of God. He is himself called in to bear witness that Israel had not set up another God. If we have forgotten the name of our God, this would be the first step in apostasy. Men first forget the true, and then adore the false. Or stretched out our hands to a strange God. Stretching out the hands was the symbol of adoration or of entreaty in prayer. This they had not offered to any of the idols of the heathen. 21. Shall not God search this out? Could such idolatry be concealed from him? Would he not, with holy indignation, have dictated unfaithfulness to itself, even had it been hidden in the heart and unrevealed in the life? For he knoweth the secrets of the heart. He is acquainted with the inner workings of the mind, and therefore this could not have escaped him. Not the heart only which is secret, but the secrets of the heart, which are secrets of the most secret thing, are as open to God as a book to a reader. The reasoning is that the Lord himself knew the people, to be sincerely his followers, and therefore was not visiting them for sin. Hence, then affliction evidently came from quite another case. 22. Yea, i.e. assuredly, certainly, for thy sake, not for our offenses, but for obeying thee, the trials of these suppliants came upon them, because they were loyal to their God. Are we killed all the day long? Persecution never ceased to hound them to the death, and they had no respite and found no door of escape, and all in God's behalf, because they would not forsake their covenant God and King. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, as if we were only meant to be killed, and made on purpose to be victims, as if it were as easy and as innocent a thing to slay us as to slaughter sheep. In this, the following verses, we clearly hear the martyr's cry. From Piedmont and Smithfield, from St. Bartholomew's massacre, and the Dragonades of Claverhouse, this appeal goes up to heaven, while the souls under the altar continue their solemn cry for vengeance. Not long shall the church plead in this fashion her shame 
shall be recompensed, her triumph shall dawn. Verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. 23. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? God sleepeth not, but the psalmist puts it so, as if on no other theory he could explain the divine inaction. He would fain see the great judge ending the oppression and giving peace to the holy. Therefore does he cry, Awake! He cannot understand why the reign of tyranny and oppression of virtue are permitted, and therefore he inquires, Why sleepest thou? Arise, this is all thou needest to do. One move of thine will save us. Cast us not off forever. Long enough hast thou deserted us. The terrible effects of thine absence are destroying us. End thou our calamities, and let thine anger be appeased. In persecuting times men are apt to cry, where is the God of Israel? At the thought of what the saints have endured from their haughty enemies, we join our voices in the great martyr cry and sing with the bard of paradise. Avenge, O Lord, thy slaughtered saints, whose bones lie scattered on the alpine mountains cold, even those who kept thy truth so pure of old. When all our fathers worshipped stocks and stones, forget not in thy book record their groans. Who were thy sheep? 24. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? Not petulantly, but piteously, and inquiringly, we may question the Lord when, his dealings are mysterious. We are permitted to order our case with arguments and plead the right before the face of the august majesty. Why, Lord, dost thou become oblivious to thy children's woes? This question is far more easily asked than answered. It is hard indeed in the midst of persecution to see the reason why we are left to suffer so severely. 25. For our soul is bowed down, down to the dust. Our heart is low, as low can be, as low as the dust beneath the soles of men's feet. When the heart sinks, the man is down indeed. Heart sorrow is the very heart of sorrow. Our belly cleaveth unto the earth. The man is prone upon the earth, and he is not only down, but fastened down on the earth and glued to it. It is misery indeed when the heart cannot escape from itself, is shut up 
in its own dejection and bound with the cords of despondency. God's saints may be thus abject. They may be not only in the dust, but on the dunghill with Job and with Lazarus. But their day cometh, and their tide will turn, and they shall have a brave summer after their bitter winter. 26. Arise for our help. A short but sweet comprehensive prayer, much to the point, clear, simple, urgent, as all prayers should be, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Here is the final plea. The favor is redemption. The plea is mercy. And this, too, in the case of faithful sufferers who had not forgotten their God, mercy is always a safe plea and never will any man find a better. Were I a martyr at the stake, I'd plead my Savior's name, entreat a pardon for his sake, and urge no other claim. Here ends this memorial psalm. But in heaven its power ends not, but brings down deliverance for the tried people of God. End of Psalm 44, Part 2 Recording by Simon Wainwright